This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. Uh, this is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group, and we're at HIMSS today talking with Bill Spooner, Senior Vice President and CIO of Sharp Healthcare. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Um, for starters, tell us just briefly about Sharp Healthcare. How many hospitals in Sharp? Uh, Sharp Healthcare is uh, seven hospitals uh, located on four campuses in all in San Diego County, California. We are about 15,000 employees. Uh, 2,600 affiliated physicians. We are the largest private employer in San Diego County. We have about $2.5 billion gross revenue. Uh, We're an integrated delivery network, a large multi-specialty medical group of 400 physicians, an 800-physician independent practice association, all affiliated with us. And so we provide everything from, you know, beginning to end in terms of healthcare services, all in San Diego County. And as CIO of such a large healthcare system, how much of your time is devoted to privacy and security issues? You, you described in your session there that you have a, a security team that reports to you? Or? Uh, I have a security team, uh, presently of five people that report to me. Uh, the, the time that I spend on it uh, really varies. And I have to say that fortunately in, in the past uh, well, six months to a year, I haven't had to spend a lot of time with us because we've, been, we've done a good job. We've got a really good team. And, and my issue has really been how do we deal with changes? What happens in the occasional time that there's some kind of a threat? Um, we spend a lot of time uh, trying to evaluate requests that really try to it tries to stretch our fabric in terms of, of providers who need who need access to systems that technically we aren't comfortable with providing, uh, just because of either HIPAA requirements or or something similar. So it's more on the policy side that I spend my time. Um, I don't spend. I spend very little time in terms of the actual technical side. I've got a pretty strong team. What's the top priority information security project for this year, then, if you had to pick one? Well, I think the top, and it's going to be a broad definition, but really the top project is twofold, but it's really trying to find out how that we how we can best provide all physicians in a secure manner access to the systems. And physicians have so many different roles with them. They may be medical staff members who practice entirely at Sharp, and we allow them access. They may be referring physicians who are not members of the medical staff, but they really need to see the information. So how do we find it? a safe, uh, effective way of giving them access to the information. Looking on the other dimension, it's the patient. And as we are getting more into collaborative care, we want the patient to go online to look at their records. We've rolled out a, uh, a portal within our multi-specialty medical group with 67,000 patients. And, how, and so we need to be able to provide a convenient access mechanism that still provides us the protection that we think that we need in terms of our systems and in terms of protecting their information. It's it's a, a interesting message when we are trying to persuade, explain to the patient that we put these controls in place to protect their information. Right. So you built your own patient portal. How are you handling authentication for that? Uh, we're using a third-party product for the initial enrollment, and in, in that. Uh, has the patient uh, ask the patient questions from a like a TransUnion database in terms of things about where they lived at a particular point in time or when they negotiated a mortgage contract and things like that, so that it's information that only they would know essentially. And then on an ongoing basis, the system sends a token every time they log in. 
they enter their username and password, and it uh, texts them and phones them with a token. And they've got... That's a code, right? A code, yeah. a number. Mm-hmm. Like a eight or nine digit number. Mm-hmm. And they've got, I forget whether it's 30 seconds or 60 seconds, to enter that number, almost like an RSA type chip. But it's something that comes right directly to them. Right, and what's the patient reaction to that, Ben? The, well, the, that's probably more security than they find with their bank. Right. And the patient reaction hasn't been always positive about it. They're doing it, but they say it's cumbersome. And as we've done surveys of our patients, that's one of the things that they object to, where we've been working through with our provider to try to streamline that process to not only ensure its reliability, but just to make it a little bit more smooth in terms of the workflow. One of the interesting things was that it was sent initially the text message was coming through with some other number on the subject line, really a transaction number, rather than the token number. So they were entering the wrong number. Yeah. And so we've changed that so that they're not to be confused about the number. And you know, it is a real communications issue to help the patients understand that we are trying to protect them. And as we, we read in the press about some of the uh, breaches that have happened, and it seem to happen almost every week or every month, we want to relate to them that we're trying to ensure that it doesn't happen to them. So on the physician side, is there a portal for them too? You said they access remotely via Citrix network? Basically, the physicians access through Citrix, and that is their portal. All the applications displayed under that environment. And how do you handle authentication for them? Uh, all, everybody has RSA tokens. I gotcha. Yes. Okay. And, and are, we've started to use some of the soft tokens, so if people have uh, BlackBerry's or iPhones, they can, there's a little piece of software that provides a token rather than having to carry the physical chip. Are you accommodating personally owned mobile devices, BYOD, yet? We are accommodating them on a limited basis. We, uh, we allow uh, our physicians and uh, management to have access for their email, basically. And we've got a separate inclusion list that we, on which they enter their names. We allow the physicians to access their patient information if, the, if they can get through Citrix. To date, we haven't put on any dedicated uh, iPad-type applications. We know they're coming. We are looking at the various mobile device management products, and uh, we're, we're nearing conclusion of a selection process and expect to bring that into play so that we can uh, better track and manage the devices that are coming into the environment because we know they're there. So is mobile device management a critical component of this whole movement to mobility, you think? Or? We think it's got to be yeah. because we have, we're concerned about uh, the... The, the device owner that also wants their personal applications, whether it's their Wall Street Journal subscription or their Sudoku puzzle, uh, and, and, and to keep that available to them. At the same time, we want to protect our patient information. So will that mobile device management system uh, enable you to monitor these devices, whether they're personally owned or not? To some basically? extent, yes. Yeah. Yeah. To see if the controls are in place? What, what about HIEs? Are you forming your own health information exchange? Do I understand that right? We are uh, implementing, as many uh, delivery networks are doing, we're, we're implementing what we're calling an enterprise HIE right. using a commercially available product. And our approach to it is to be able to provide connectivity with any physician who has an EHR and practices in our hospital. So they would be able to exchange information among themselves and exchange information with the hospital system. Um, and we would be the, 
the, the conduit for them out to the NWHIN or NHIN or however the HIE uh, community-wide or nationwide evolves. Gotcha. That's kind of our overall model. So you're the first link and then a, a yes. regional HIE statewide and, and national from that. And in San Diego, we uh, at the uh, University of California, they were the lucky recipients of one of the Beacon Grants. And so they're working on the community HIE. And, and you know, this is all evolving. It's kind of hard to say how it'll be five years from now. But right now we're working through not only the, the, the technology, but the use case around that technology. And so is your internal HIE up and running, and how to handle patient consent? It's, it's very close to up and running. Okay. We have uh, our hospital system loaded, and we're getting close on having the, uh, uh, the, our main um, physician product loaded. We're not quite there yet. The approach that we're taking around with the enterprise HIE is similar to our internal systems, recognizing that we allow anyone with medical staff privileges to have access to the systems, which really provides them access to all patients. And we feel that we are, we are covered by that under the, uh, under the business associates positions. So in the enterprise HIE, they will, they will see everything else. With the community HIE, we will require opt-in consent, specific consent, for any patient whose information is to go outside of our enterprise. Now, you mentioned briefly in your presentation, just to wrap up, that you had a, an incident where some people in the patient financial services department were taking social security numbers and then getting credit cards and making some purchases. Uh, how did you detect that, and what advice would you give to others on preventing that from happening? After I wasn't the person who, to who, who was informed first, but it was a, a patient, from, from my understanding, who, uh, patient who got a bill, and there was some police investigation involved, and that's where they traced it. And then what steps have you taken to prevent that from happening again? Well, the, the, the primary thing that we did was to, uh, to mass social security numbers, because many of our systems had the full social security number on display. Our software vendors were very uh, quick in helping us to respond to it, to put in masking so that all you see are the last four digits. And uh, in fact, they've rolled that out to their product uh, as a standard feature now. But there are some functions where you have to have the full social security numbers, for instance, for Medi-Cal, which is California's version of Medicaid. And so we have some special screens with separate access for people who have to deal with with, with those functions. Otherwise, the general population does not see a social security number. And on top of that, we did a lot of education internally uh, that to emphasize that patient information is sacred. And that ongoing training, I assume, is very important when it comes to security and preventing breaches. Well, absolutely. In, in our environment, we do some training with new employee orientation, and then we do an annual refresher that everyone is required to do. And it's basically some web-based training, computer-based uh, learning modules. Well, very good. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've been talking with uh, Bill Spooner of Sharp Healthcare. This is Howard Anderson, and thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.